Hello friends, I'm Vance Rains, Senior Pastor of First Church Coral Springs. Welcome to our podcast. I hope this is a source of inspiration and faith as you grow in your walk with Christ. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the message. We're going to begin a new five-week series to start off the year, and I'm calling it uh, Magnetic Faith. Magnetic Faith, so images of magnets. Uh, What does a magnet do? It, it attracts, right? It pulls toward. It, it has a power to draw. If it's a weak magnet, you can at least stick it on metal and it'll stick there like on a refrigerator. But if it's a powerful magnet, it will pull. Like, in a, you know, they have those big magnets they use in junkyards to move around the, 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 the junk cars. You know, the powerful pulling action of a magnet. So that's the image that we want to have over these next few weeks. Are we living our faith? in such a way that it functions like a magnet, that it's actually drawing people toward knowing Jesus, who, of course, is the most attractional of all. Jesus, of course, is the magnet, not us. He just works through us to, to attract people to him. And, of course, Jesus was, a, you got look, you're like hypnotized by it, right? <laughs> wow, look at the... Look at the nail. Wow. So maybe we got to go to the still image. Uh, it's okay. Uh, you get the image, right? Hold on to the image. Um, I mean, think about, think about, you know, Jesus's life. Today's epiphany, right? What happened on epiphany? Wise men followed a star to see a baby. They were attracted to what they believed the, the star in the sky was pointing to. Christmas Eve, we talked about how angels out went out to the shepherds in the field to say a savior's been born and they were attracted they went and they saw it all of Jesus's life people were attracted to him he attracted crowds and crowds of people to be healed to hear his teaching and since his death and resurrection millions upon millions upon millions of souls have been tra- attracted to Jesus because there's something about him that is so compelling. There's something about Jesus that is so life-giving. There is something in Jesus alone. He's the way, the truth, the life that we know we need. He is the magnet. But remember what we do on Christmas Eve. How do we end the Christmas Eve service always? With candlelights, right? And, And that represents, we say, that, that Jesus, the light of the world, has come and the darkness cannot stop it or subdue it. But then that that light of Christ that has come and shined is now ours, right? We don't just look at a light up here. We pass it until all of us are holding our light and we end with that message. Now take it. Take this light now that's been given to you and go shine it in the world. Jesus tells us that. You are the light of the world. You're a city on a hill. You are the salt of the earth. Another image he uses. Paul says, you are the aroma of Christ, the fragrance of Christ. So the question we're going to keep coming back to is, do people see the light of Jesus shining in you? I mean, Paul used the expression, you know, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Well, if he is the great magnet, if he's the light, do they see the light of Christ shining from me? Or the way Paul said it, do they smell Jesus on you? When you walk in the room, they go, I wonder what that is. 
<laughs> smells like Jesus because <laughs> he's in you. Is there, is there something going on in you spiritually that's attractive because Christ lives in you? Um, I'm a big fan of the author, speaker, Tony Campola. I've read a lot of his books. I've seen him uh, speak a number of times. I don't know if you know that name or not. Uh, he's a, an extreme extrovert. Uh, bold preacher, passionately loved with Jesus, and he's an evangelist. He's the kind of guy that if you were ever to meet him, uh, you wouldn't be a stranger for long, and immediately you'd be talking about Jesus. Not, not because he's pushy or you know, he has an agenda. He just loves Jesus that much and wants you to know about it. He's the kind of guy that if you sit by him on an airplane, he's going to talk to you, and you're going to hear about Jesus and probably going to going to love Jesus because of him. He's just that kind of guy. Well, he tells a story. Uh, I've heard him tell the story that one time, sure enough, he's on an airplane and he tries to start the conversation with the guy next to him. Uh, but this guy is a business person and he's very much into the reports he's studying. So, you know, Tony said, hi. And the guy, oh, hey, you know, and he's doing his, he's doing his work. So Tony realizes like, I can't, I can't interrupt this guy. It's just gonna, he's, he's very focused. So Tony starts thinking, he says, well, if I have Jesus and me, if I have the Holy Spirit, if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, these things we say, and if, if the Jesus in me wants to know him, maybe I could just lean on him a little bit, right? So he does, he does starts like scooting in his chair, letting his seat a little bit, just so he's just barely touching, and he starts praying, okay, Jesus, you do your thing, and guess what happened? Eventually, the guy lays down his report and looks over to him like, hi, how are you? And... <laughs> They talk about Jesus. Now, I don't know if that actually works. You can go try it or something. But, but what if we at least had that idea, right? Then all of our interactions, I'm carrying Jesus into this interaction, right? That right now, Jesus is right here with me. That this, I might be the only Jesus this person ever meets because Jesus lives in me. I no longer live, but Jesus lives in me. Th think for a moment about what you're attracted to. I don't necessarily mean spiritually. I just mean period. What are you attracted to? Some people like going to football games. Some people like going uh, out, out to play golf. Some people like tennis. Some people like the gym. I don't, but some people do. Uh, some, some people like the mall. You know, you're drawn to sales. Some people like, you're, you're drawn to, you know, whatever it is, particular restaurants or whatever. I'm drawn to Indian food. Like, what, what attracts you? Right? you? You get what I'm talking about? Like, there's certain things you're neutral about, some things you don't like at all, but some things... You're drawn to. Think about people for a minute. Who, who, what kind of people are you drawn to? Funny people? Kind people? Generous people? Like extroverts? Are you any kind of a quieter person to spend time with? Right? I mean, who, what kind of people are you drawn to? You get what I'm talking about, right? We're just drawn in certain ways. Some people and some other people, not so much. Now think spiritually. Who, think of the people in your life who are the people you're spiritually attracted to? That there's something about their, their kindness, maybe, or something about the way they love, or something about their warmth, or the, the hugs they give, or, or the, there's a kindness in their words, or there's a smile on their face. I don't, I don't know what it is. Or you're inspired by their wisdom and understanding and depth of spirit. What, who are the people that come to mind that you find spiritually magnetic? So one more question. Who would name you? Who would name me? Who would say, ah, that, that person, you, me, they're a magnet to Jesus for me because of Jesus that lives in them. 
Now, now here's the, the other thing about magnets. Remember, like, maybe you had a little magnet set when you were a kid, I did, or maybe in a science class. Ma- magnets, primarily, we use to attract, right? You, you put the important things on the refrigerator, right? The to-do list and your kids' pictures they made. You know, you put the important things on the fridge with a magnet. But magnets have another function also. If, if, you, if you turn the mag, like two magnets, you turn one around, so the opposite pole is facing, right? Not the opposite, the same pole is facing, what happens? Right? You, you turn them one way, they pull together. Turn it the other way, you can't make them stick because they, re, they repel, Right? And so it's possible for, for followers of Christ to do as we're, you know, as natural to us, if Jesus lives in us and he's an attractional person, to attract people to us. But all of us, I bet, could think of some Christians who ne- call themselves Christians who say they're followers of Jesus, but you don't want anything to do with them. Right? I mean, there's something about them that, ugh. Like, just avoid them. Right? It's like, they, they may, I feel lousy when I'm with them. They, they just bring me down. They seem so critical and judgmental, and I don't want anything to do with them. Right? So that's what I'm going to talk about a little bit today is what, what happens when we get our poles turned around the wrong way and our Christianity becomes more repellent than attractive? That's a problem. Now, you may be taking some comfort in saying, well, I don't know how attractive I am, but at least I don't think I'm repellent. Well, friends, I don't think, it's a, I don't think there's middle ground here. Uh, remember that thing where Jesus said in Revelation, like, you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were, but you're lukewarm, and I want to spit you out, right? So sometimes I think that we think, we take comfort in going, well, you know, maybe I'm not like Tony Campalo evangelist, but, but if, if somebody knows that you attend church and they know that you're a follower of Jesus, but they don't see any difference it's making in your life, while you may not be turning them off, you may be convincing them it just doesn't look like it's worth my time and effort. If I, if I don't see a life change in you, I don't see that, that you're becoming more like Jesus that I've heard about, then why, why would I invest my time and energy into that, right? So, so I think it's a, either we're attractive or we're not. And the not can be a real problem. I, I don't think it will come as any surprise to you that poll after poll, census after census, survey after survey shows that the church in the United States is in decline. That, that there are fewer people attending church today than, than many, many, many years in our history. I read one statistic that says that on average, 3,000 churches a year are closing in the United States. This has been happening for, for over a decade. That's even with new churches starting. That's after you take that number out, the new churches that start every year. 3,000 churches are closing. Every time they do a new survey, it shows that the number of people not involved in a religious organization is growing and those participating is shrinking. In fact, one study says that on your average Sunday, less than 17% of the U.S. population is in church. Less than that means one in five U.S. adults, and you're like, can that be true? Think about your friends, think about your family, think about your neighbors. How many of them are not in church today? Right? 
they just, they've decided it's not a place for them to go. It's not, not something that they want to do. And there's some categories, you know, that the sociologists now apply to try to understand trends. And so they've got these different groups now. They're calling the nuns, not nuns as in sisters, but nuns as in N-O-N-E-S. Nuns, like no religious background. I went to the doctor last week. The doctor said, what do you do? She goes, I'm a, pa- I said, I'm a pastor. Oh, really? That's interesting. What, what, what kind of church? It was the United Methodist. She said, I've never heard of that. Well, we're new. No. <laughs> and I said, well, what's your, what's your background? She goes, oh, I, I've never, I don't have any religious background at all. She wasn't negative about church. She just, no, no history of church at all. No religious background at all. No exposure at all. That's a big group now in the United States. There's another group called the Duns, people who did grow up in church. And you can think of these, probably some of us, it's our kids. Dunn, they grew up in church and they're not, they don't go. They're like, I've done it. It didn't do anything for me. I'm, I'm done with organized religion. Then there's a really huge group that says, I'm spiritual. I may even like Jesus a lot, but I'm not religious. I don't put it into practice in, a, in attending religious services or affiliating with a particular denomination. Now, I think if we believe that Jesus is attractive, if we believe that Jesus came into the world to save sinners, we ought to be concerned about what's happening. Agree with me? That, that it ought to concern us that people drive by here and think, I don't think there's anything there for me. It, it, it maybe ought to break our heart that there's people in our lives that just like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't see anything there. Now, you're not going to like some of what I'm about to share. I, I, they, they do a lot of, like, you know, surveying and interviewing, especially with this Dunn group. Like, why are you leaving church? You know, there's a lot of people that really want to figure this out. And so I want to share with you what some of the interviews have been revealing. This is not Vance's opinion, right? This is not necessarily applicable to us, right? This is just what they're, what they're saying. This is what, what the, if you, if you go read the data, this is what's being said. The Duns are leaving the church because they think that Christians are hypocritical. That we espouse one set of beliefs, but we don't live up to them very consistently. They're leaving because they think we're obsessed with sex, but not in a good way. They're anti-sex. We're fearful of sex. We're particularly condemning of the LGBT community. That we're overly bureaucratic. That it's too much about institutional maintenance, and you've got to jump through hoops to get anything done that were too traditional, and that doesn't mean like, well, contemporaries got it right, but the traditional service got it wrong. It just means churches seem to be really resistant to change. That Christians are too isolated. That we have a tendency to pull away from the world rather than engage it. That we're too political. That too often they hear Christians aligning with a particular party or candidate. They think we're too judgmental. That we're more known for what we're against than what we're for. That they find our messages too, this is personal, right? They find our messages too simplistic and too shallow. That not really helping deal with the, the difficulties of life. That Christianity is anti-science. That, that, that we're going to deny what science has already proved because it doesn't line up with what we think is reality. That there's no place within the church for doubt or uncertainty or asking hard questions. We're just supposed to believe what we're told. And that too many of us are inauthentic. That we present ourselves like everything is wonderful when in reality, it, sometimes life is hard. Now, again, that may not be fair. It may not be accurate. It, it, may, it, may, just, it may not be true of you or First Church. But listen, 
When people are driving by, increasingly the majority of the population drive by First Church and they see this building, if this is what they're thinking, we ought to be concerned about it. Whether it's true about us or not, whether we think that that's a fair argument or not, it ought to concern us when the majority drive by and think, why would I ever turn in there? They're just going to judge me. They're just going to give me answers that don't really address the questions I'm asking. It ought to concern us. This, This quote by Pope Francis moves me. He says, if something should rightly disturb us and trouble our consciences, it is the fact that so many are living without the strength, light, and consolation born of friendship with Jesus Christ, without the community of faith to support them, without meaning and a goal in life. More than a fear of going astray, my hope is that we, meaning Christians, will be moved by the fear of remaining shut up within structures which give us a false sense of security, within rules which make us harsh judges, within habits which make us feel safe, while at our door are people starving. He means spiritually. They're people spiritually starving, and we're complacent about it, apathetic perhaps. The author Anne Lamott says, you can safely assume that you've created a God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. We have a God that loves and saves sinners. He doesn't hate them, right? Wouldn't it be tragic if the world knows us more by what we hate than what we love? So like, well, okay, well, it's a difficult time for the church. Well, by the way, it's always been a difficult time for the church. In every generation, there have been challenges going back all the way to the early church. Read most of the New Testament, and what you're going to find is correction after correction after correction of, of when the churches were being split and when, when, when it was questions about who's in and who's out and what you have to do and what you don't have to do. If you go to Titus, by the way, I've never preached on Titus before. This is a first. just took me 25 years. Titus 3. Paul writes, do not get involved in foolish discussions. Been in any foolish discussions recently? Do not get involved in foolish discussions about spiritual pedigrees, meaning I'm more spiritual than you, or, or, or in quarrels and fights about obedience to Jewish laws or, or rules. These things are useless and a waste of time. If people are causing divisions among you, give a first and a second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with them. People like that have turned away from the truth and their own sins condemn them. What he's saying is that while we get so hung up on things that we're debating and fighting over and territorial and we're losing people. People are watching us too like, why would I want to be part of that? I have no interest in that. Where's Jesus in that? If you go to Romans chapter 14, just another example, a whole chapter is devoted to Paul talking to the church in Rome about this division that's happening in the church over two things. Get this, over what you're allowed to eat and when you're allowed to worship. Now, here's the issue. In the early church, there were still Jews who had a very strict dietary law. They also now was a growing group of Gentiles, meaning non-Jews, from the Greek and Roman world. And in the Greek, and this is going to sound strange, but in the Greek and Roman world, if you wanted to purchase meat, you didn't get to go to Publix to get it. 
You had to go to a pagan temple because that's where meat was sold. You, you took your cow to the, the temple of Zeus and it was sacrificed and then some of the meat was sold in the back as a way of supporting the temple. And some people said, well, you know, what's the big deal? I don't worship Zeus. I just want a steak for dinner. Others like, no, 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 you can't be buying meat from a, you know, a pagan temple. And so there became this big debate over, are we allowed to eat this? Are we not allowed to eat this? I I don't feel quite comfortable honoring Jesus with my diet. If I do, other people like, I feel completely fine eating meat, right? And they start judging each other. They start judging each other. Well, you're not spiritual if you do. Well, you're not spiritual if you don't. Then there became a question about what day you're allowed to worship. Jews, historically, had said Saturday, seventh day, Sabbath day. But Jesus was raised on the first day, on Sunday. Do we worship on Saturday or Sunday? If we're worshiping Jesus, wouldn't we worship him on the day of resurrection? Then add to it all these Jewish festivals. Do we still worship? Do we still do those, honor those? And then also we live in this pagan world where there's all these days that have been set aside related to these pagan gods. And we've always been told this is a sacred day. And so a group over here says, you've got to worship God on this day. And I'm like, like, well, I think we also ought to worship God on this day. And like, well, you're not spiritual because of that. And you're not spiritual because of that. Are you catching this? The whole group is saying, I want to honor Christ. And so I'm going to eat this food. And this group is saying, I want to honor God. So I'm not going to eat this food because it, 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 it bothers my conscience. And this group is saying, I think I want to worship God on this day because I think that that's a holy thing to do. And this group is saying like, ah. I think this is the day I want to worship God. You notice they're all worshiping God? They're all trying to honor God, but they're condemning each other. You're like, well, how could that ever happen? Good thing we got over that. Our Bishop Ken Carter says, on the path to holiness, it is essential that we make this journey with a spirit of humility in our judgments toward each other. Maybe they're right. Right? I, I don't feel convicted about what I eat or don't eat, but maybe they're, maybe they're right. That's humility. Here's what Paul said to the Romans. He said, accept other believers who are weak in faith, meaning you consider them weak in faith. Don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all, re- all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will only eat vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn? Who are you to condemn someone else's servants, meaning God is the master, not you? Who are you to condemn them? Their own masters will judge whether they stand or fall. With the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. The people you're condemning They will stand and receive his approval. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day, do it to honor him. Those who eat any kind of food, do so to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating. Those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. Listen, friends, we still are doing this today, right? 
What's the right way to worship God? Is it contemporary? Is it traditional? Who's right? The Baptists, the Methodists, the Presbyterians, the Independents, the Pentecostals, the Charismatics? Who's, who's the right one? Are you allowed to have drums in the sanctuary? Is it okay still to do stained glass, right? What's the right theology? Is the Calvinist got it right or the Wesleyans got it right or the fundamentalists? Is it okay to have a political position? Is it okay to be progressive or conservative? What about baptism? How much water do you have to use? You know, is it okay to have do a baby or not a baby communion like who's allowed really to receive communion and then all the issues around sexuality are we aware that as we're debating these things and judging each other and condemning because we just have you know I don't mean just in the room like maybe like oh we look down our nose toward the you know that group down the street that others are going what on earth are you talking about what on earth are you debating I don't, I don't want to be part of that. Do we, do we realize that our stances so often just drive people away? So Paul writes in Romans 14, 10, You then, you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Each of us will give, he says in 12 and 13, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop, what? Condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. And that gets twisted. Like sometimes like, you know, if you sin, you might cause your brother or sister to stumble or fall. I think what he's saying is all this judging and condemning might cause somebody to turn away and cause them to stumble or fall. Why are we here? Why does the church exist? Is, is the church's purpose to maintain a certain standard of perfection in the world? Is, is the church's purpose to maintain a certain kind of tradition? Is the, is the church's position, purpose to maintain a, a certain theological correctness? Is the church meant to be a place that the people who got it right can hide out from all the evil people? I, I don't read any of that in the Bible. Do we exist for any other reason than to lead people to Jesus? Do we exist for any reason other than to lead people to Jesus? To attract people to him. They're not all going to want him. We, we saw that in the, in the Gospels. Not, not everybody followed him. But our job is not to set up fences to keep people out. Our job is not to, to stand up for certain stances our job is to stand up for Jesus people need Jesus more than they need our opinions people need Jesus in me they need Jesus in you right I mean how many of us how many of us get filled with correctness with opinions with biases with with, with judgments when we're called to be full of Jesus. I get the impression sometimes we think it's our job to protect Jesus from sin. Right? Do we ever forget that, that while he loved us, <laughs> he came for us, that God so loved the world not to condemn the world, but to send his son to save the world, that while we were yet sinners, he came for us. He doesn't need our protection, friends. 
He chooses to use us to be an extension of his magnetism. Listen, here's a thing I'm increasingly convinced of. You go tell a sinner they're a sinner, they're going to say, what's sin? Right? I mean, let's be honest. How in touch with your own sin are you? And, and how effective is it for me to tell you how sinful you are? But I'm increasingly convinced you spend time with Jesus, he'll show you. And it, will, and it will show you, the more Jesus lives in you, the more you'll realize there's some stuff in me that's out of harmony with Jesus, and I need to work on that. Um, I don't know how many of you are married, but if your spouse comes to you and say, listen, you've got some issues to work on, what are you most likely to say? So do you. <laughs> right? We get defensive. But let me just ask you this. Has anybody out of love for your spouse made a change in your life? Because you want to honor your spouse, because you love your spouse, because you see the way your sinfulness affects them negatively, and so I'm willing to make some changes because I want to honor you with my life. I think that's the way it works. We can spend an awful lot of time telling people why they're not godly, or we can tell them about a Jesus that loves them. And let Jesus deal with their stuff. Because that's the one who knows how to do it. And how does he deal with our stuff? He does it with grace. That's his approach. Is it ours? Tony Campolo says this. I love it. Jesus never says love your neighbor but hate his sin. Jesus says love your neighbor but what? Hate your own sin. That's the biblical position. It says in Romans 14, 19, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Be gentle and show true humility to everyone. Titus 3, 2. That's how we be magnetic. I want to end with this quote because I think it just says it so perfectly. Oscar Romero, listen to this. Christianity is not, okay? Just check yourself with this. Christianity is not a collection of truths to be believed or laws to be obeyed of prohibitions that makes it very what now listen he's not saying that sin isn't isn't crippling he's not saying that sin doesn't destroy lives he's not saying that sin is insignificant of course it is but when we lead with that if that's what the world thinks is that like you know you go to church to get judged for your sins like no thank you no thank you Christian is not a collection of truths to be believed. Oh, I have to believe that. Or laws to be obeyed or prohibitions. That makes it very distasteful. Christianity is what? A person. One who loved us so much. One who calls us for our love. Christianity is Christ. So what are you full of, right? Are we full of opinions? Are we full of, of legalism? Are we full of, of tradition? Are we full of Jesus? Somewhere along the line, I started thinking of my work as a pastor, much like uh, the old-fashioned matchmaker. You know what I'm talking about, the matchmaker? Especially in Jewish communities, there usually was some uh, little old lady that she was the matchmaker. Fiddler on the Roof, you remember that if you know, the matchmaker, right? 
And, and the, the, the role of the matchmaker was seen as like that person has a particular gift. And so, you know, if, 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 a, if a young person was ready to get married, you know, they'd go to the matchmaker. And the matchmaker would say, ah, you should go check out this person. And, and then uh, yeah, they would help make the arrangements to kind of get them connected. Some of you may remember the TV show not long ago, The Millionaire Matchmaker, right? Millionaires are having trouble finding spouses. I don't even want to go there. So they hired the millionaire matchmaker and she would make arrangements. I'm increasingly, I mean, I've just felt this for years. My job is not to be the sin policeman. My job is to be the matchmaker. To come to you and say, hey, I know this guy. I think you'd really like him. He is so wise. He is so full of truth. He is so gracious and loving and when I'm with them I feel this incredible peace and I think you would too and I, you know I hear the things that you're longing for and wanting in your life and I think if you spent a little time with this guy you would really like him and, and I just I know with all my heart he will like you in fact I, I think he's going to love you I think that's our job friends we're matchmakers we're matchmakers. Maybe it's time to get off our high horses <laughs> that, that really are repelling a lot of people and spend a lot more time investing in how Jesus can live more in me, the, the, the real Jesus. And really think more about, do, do, do I smell like Jesus? <laughs> in this interaction, did I bring more light or less? Did they hear him in my words, my smile, my values, my actions, my worldliness, my holiness? Did they find Jesus in that? My Jesus magnet? Or not? Lord, may you find many magnets in this room. May you find open hearts and souls ready, eager to receive more of you. Lord, may our convictions honor you but not divide us. May we, may we honor the convictions others have even when we don't always agree with them. May, may we lay down our judgments. Even as we come to the, the rail today, may, may we just lay down anything today that isn't of you. And as we receive this bread and juice that represents you, may we be filled with more of you. Or may we be the kind of people in this community, may we be the kind of church in this community that is attractive because of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information about First Church and our ministries, visit us online at welovefirst.church.